Masechet Ketubot of Kof Dalid. We are in the middle of the story of Rabbi Udan Asi's last will and testament. Uh, how do we get to this? Uh, it's because uh, the Halakha, the Mishnah, was talking about the right of a widow to say, I want to remain in my house, in my husband's house. And she has a right to do that and to still use all the, the furnish, furnishings and the servants and live the same lifestyle if she wants. Under some circumstances, she can demand that she will live in her father's house and she has to get the food there. The um, orphans, uh, the heirs have to deliver the food there, for example, if they're all young and it would be inappropriate for them to live together. So that was the context we were talking about and that's why uh, in the Rabbi uh, Danasi said that they should continue to honor their mother and we interpret that to mean their, um, it means their stepmother. Uh, in other words, treat her well. Okay, so that's the that was the story, it's important to recognize that there's actually a baraita, a long-running baraita, that's interrupted by the Talmud Bavli. And here in this version, I put the baraita in bold, and you see the baraita has three sections, A, B, and C, and each time there's the Talmud Bavli it gives an interpretation of it. It's important to separate, uh, the bold is the baraita, to separate the two layers because the um, each layer has its own meaning. Uh, you can see that in the original Baraita, and this is confirmed by, by the Tamud Yerushalmi, when the beat says that you should be careful with the honor of um, of my wife, and here it says Imechem, in the Yerushalmi it says of the Almana, of my, my, my wife, the, my widow. And then the next line, uh, that you should make sure that the lamp will still be lit in his place, and the table set in his place, and the bed in his place. This is talking about for his wife, so that she will remain living where she was living before, and still be used to everything as is, to have this nice luxury of having light lit at night, and the same table, and the same bed. They can't kick her, kick her downstairs, and uh, to, to sleep in a small room in the basement, or anything like that. So that's the original meaning. And then you see the Talmud Bavli adds another layer, which is the whole story about Abu Danasi coming back in a, um, in a soul ghost-like form. Uh, so that's, uh, that's super interesting. Uh, you could see this uh, also uh, here, where um, Abu Danasi says, do not eulogize me in the towns and make a yeshiva after 30 days. The simple reading of that is that they should, um, he's trying to limit his honor and saying, don't make a big deal that make everybody in the farms all come to the villages and you should, you know, continue normally. And in 30 days, then you'll make, uh, you'll, you'll make a, 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 a shiur in my memory in the yeshiva. That'll be a way of honor, honoring me. So it's actually to make a yeshiva, to make a memorial service after 30 days, not all for all 30 days. And Talmud Bavli goes and elaborates on that and says they did 30 days just because Moshe was the same. And uh, but really, they went even longer. They did half a day. Okay, so it's important to separate the various layers here. And you see, there's a lot actually going on. Uh, the last part is that you can see probably the you can see what the Talmud Bavli is um, is trying to get to, uh, where it says um, that uh, the Biodanasi said you should always. Uh, he told his son Gamliel, you should uh, rule uh, harshly. You know, with a strong, with a high, be high and mighty. And Talmud says, really? But then Yehoshaphat himself was a king. He gave honor to the sages. He says, yeah, that's true. So you see that uh, even the Nasi, they're kind of hinting, at least in private, the, the Nasi, who is like a king, 
should still give honor to the sages. So this is about really the balance of power, and the Nasi is important, but is the political head, but the sages are the religious heads. And so, yes, while you need that balance of power, you have to make sure that the Nasi does not take advantage and take too much power. So um, there's a, a lot going on here. There's an important article by Professor Shia Cohen uh, comparing this last will and testament to the uh, similar last wills of um, the heads of the school of the philosophical schools in uh, Greco-Roman philosophical schools also had there was they had students and they had a head and when the head would die he would have, have a last will appointing who's going to be the next head you can compare the style and content of these two different of, of this story with those um, so if any Anybody wants that article, you can send me a message and I'm happy to send it to you. All right, we continue the story. On the day that Abiyudanasi was going to die, he didn't die yet, the sages made a fast and were begging for mercy that he should not die. He's on his deathbed, but the rabbis all getting together and praying that he should live longer. And furthermore, the rabbis announced that anyone who says that Abiyudanasi has died, we're going to stab him with a sword. In other words, we we don't want anyone to say it, don't announce it just by saying it. Maybe that'll make it come quicker. And uh, therefore, nobody should give in to the fact that he's going to die. Right? We're going to pray. We're going to storm the heavens. And we're going we're gonna to make him live. Okay. And the maidservant of Rabbi Yudanasi, we already saw her in the previous story. She's the one that revealed that Rabbi comes uh, as a ghost every Friday night and to, to the neighbor, and that's why she didn't come anymore. He, that's why the, he didn't come anymore. But she seems to have been learned herself. She knew uh, Hebrew words and she knew a lot of things. And here you see her uh, making her her own prayer she goes up to the roof and she says uh, and she said the upper realms are requesting Rabbi meaning that he should die and go up to the upper realm meanwhile the lower realms the rabbis down here are, are requesting to be and making sure that he stays here and stays alive so she prays that I hope that the lower uh, the will of the lower world should impose its uh, the lower world should, should impose its will on the upper world. I hope that the rabbis here will win and Buda will get better and continue to live. But then she changed her mind. We saw before that it says righteous people, they die from intestinal disease. And so that's the Buddha Hanasi had intestinal disease. He kept going to the bathroom. And every time he goes to the bathroom, he has to remove his tefillin. And then he goes to the bathroom and he comes out and he has to put them back on. And he had terrible suffering. You see how many times he's going, he's running to the bathroom. And so she saw how much suffering the Buddha was in. Then she changed her prayer prayer and said, You know what? May the will of the upper world win out and impose its will on the lower world. In other words, that maybe it is better if this is his time, then he should be uh, taken out of his suffering. This also is a really important source um, regarding end-of-life questions. Um, uh, you know, Of course, we never withhold life support, but the question is um, when a person is in tremendous suffering and it's clear that they're at their end of their life is it okay to pray that Hashem do his will right whatever is best for the person so this would be a source 
that this uh, that that would be permitted. Okay. Even though, nevertheless, the rabbis they would not be silent. They would not stop from from ask from asking for mercy that he should live, and so he couldn't die. The rabbis actually were preventing him from dying naturally, and and in the end, uh, extending his suffering. So the maidservant uh, took matters into her own hands. And she took a jug and threw it from the roof onto the ground and made a distraction. The rabbis who were inside, they said, what was that noise? And so just for a moment, they went to look to see what happened and they stopped praying. At that moment, the Biuda Nasi died. Okay, amazing story. So Sage said, Go, go, go see what's going on with Biuda Nasi. He was in a different room. They asked Bar Kapara, see if he's okay. Bar Kapara goes and sees indeed that the bee has died. Uh, Bar Kapara himself tore his clothing, as one must, if in the presence of someone who died, and he's also his, his teacher. But he hid the the um, the tear he put it behind him because he didn't want to yet show everyone that indeed the bee has died. So Bar Kapara wanted to break the news slowly to the people. Also, remember they just said, anyone who says that the bee died, we're going to stab him. So he didn't want to be stabbed. He didn't want to, he didn't want to say the news directly. Instead, he came back in, hiding his tear, and he says, the angels and the righteous people uh, both are gra- grabbed on to the Aron HaKodesh. Aron HaKodesh metaphor for Rabbi Udanasi. And the upper worlds want him and the lower worlds want him and the angels won out and the Aron Kodesh has been captured and taken from us. So he's saying it in an indirect way that a bee died. And they got the message, Did he die? The rabbis say, You said it, I didn't say it. I only gave a hint, but you're the ones that said it, so... Um, he broke the news to them in that way. Now we're going back in time a little, just before he died. This whole series of stories, the, the chronology is interesting. It keeps jumping back and forth. So right before he died, Rabbi Udanasi lifted up his ten fingers. He says, Hashem, you know that I toiled with all my ten fingers in the Torah. He's the compiler after all of the Mishnah. And I didn't benefit from anything from, from the Torah, from that that I did, not even the, a tiny finger's worth. I never got any personal benefit from all the Torah that I toiled in. So maybe God's will that my rest should be in peace. And sure enough, a, a divine voice came out and said, uh, yes, Yavhi he will come in peace. And then, curiously, the Pasuk in Yeshaya switches from singular to plural. He says, he will come in peace. They will rest on their beds. So we're going to ask about this. There's a lot of themes that repeat, like going up to the, to the roof, just like the launderer went up to the roof. And here the batkol that comes and confirms... Um, that he will go, uh, like we had a bath call before also. Okay. Now we ask, since it started in singular, he will come in peace. It should say, Yanuach al mishkabcha. 
that he will rest on his bed. Why the plural? So this supports the statement is that when a righteous person dies, the angels announce to God that uh, God, this uh, righteous person is coming. He's coming here to the um, to the afterlife. So God decrees that all the righteous people who are in the uh, afterworld should come and greet uh, the person. Like, you know, if you're in your house and an important person comes, you go to the door and you greet the, you greet your guests. So now everybody should come out and greet um, the bee who's coming. And they tell him, come in peace. So that's why he has the singular. That's all the righteous that are telling the bee, come in peace. And after they greet him, they all, plural, go back and rest on their beds. So that's why it goes from singular to plural. They all then rest together. A similar theme, when a righteous person dies, three groups of angels come and greet him. Once is welcome. It's a continuation of a pasuk. Um, he who goes, who walks straight. And the other quotes the rest of the pasuk. Come in peace, and then they uh, uh, rest on their beds. On the other hand, when a wicked person um, is uh, uh, dies. Three angels of destruction go to him, and they also greet that, that person with three negative pesukim. One is, there will be no peace for the wicked. Uh, another pesuk in Yeshaya, you will lie down in sorrow. Go down and be laid, and lay, lay down with uh, the uncircumcised. All right, so that ends that story about uh, Rebenu HaKadosh and his last will and testament. And now we go to the next Mishnah. All right, the first half of the Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi uh, Meir, who said in the name of Rashbag, that there's a time limit um, after which a uh, almana can no longer collect her ketubah. But it depends on where she is. If she is in her father in her uh, father's house, she can collect forever, right? If she goes and decides to live in her father's house and she doesn't collect her ketubah right away, she can collect any any time. Even after 50, 60 years, she can collect it. But if she is continuing to live in her husband's house, right, with the heirs of her husband, then she has only 25 years to come and claim the Ketuvah. The reason is because uh, while she's living in her father's ha- in her husband's house, it's likely that she will give charity. There may be there's uh, poor people will come to the door and she'll give them some bread. She'll give them things, and over time uh, she is taking the property property of the heirs and giving it to others. And uh, now how it's only a little bit at a, at a time, but over 25 years, that's what we estimate she will have depleted the amount of her ketubah by giving it to others. Now, the amount that she gets herself, that she eats and spends herself, that is no problem because that 
the Ketubah says that the heirs have to feed her, provide for her. So that does not deplete the Ketubah amount, right? She can continue, still take the full lump sum of the Ketubah um, at any time. Um, but the amount that any, any amount that she gives to others that she's not benefiting from herself, that does deplete the Ketubah. So we estimate that she's, she'd be giving away about 4% of her, of her full kituba each year, and over 25 years, there's going to be nothing left, and that, that's the opinion of the Bimeir, whereas if she's in her father's house, so then if she gives something to poor people, she's giving her father's money away, not the money of the heirs, so that does not deplete it at all, and that's why she can, can collect forever. All right, that's the opinion of Bimeir, minority opinion, but chachamim omerim, kozman shibibet ba'ala, they say the opposite. There is also a limit, but as long as she is in her husband's house, she can collect forever. Their reasoning is different. While she's in her husband's house, they are feeding her. So she's dependent on them. So she's embarrassed to ask for ketubah uh, while they're also while they're also providing for her. So since the, she has a good reason not to ask for a ketubah, even after a long time, so uh, we don't count that against her. We don't assume that she uh, for, forgave the her ketubah payment, so she can collect it any time. But when she's in her father's house, then um, uh, and she's not uh, getting benefit from uh, from the from the heirs, so she wouldn't be embarrassed to ask for it. So she should ask for it. If she doesn't ask for it for 25 years, and she has no reason not to, then we take that as an indication that she forgave uh, the kituvah payment, and then she cannot collect it anymore. All right. If the widow dies, her heirs have to can come and claim the ketubah payment right the heirs of the husband still have to pay it they have to pay to the heirs of the uh, of the widow um, but they also have 25 years to collect it uh, if they don't collect it if they don't claim it they have to maskir they have to mention by the way you owe us that uh, the ketubah payment as long as they mention it then that will restart the clock for another 25 years so begin with the question Abaye asks Rav Yosef about the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who said that a woman normally will deplete her entire kitubah by giving the uh, by, by giving away money to poor people uh, in 25 years. This doesn't make sense. Uh, a very poor person, she has 25 years. And the richest person that they knew was Marta Bat Baitos. She was very, very wealthy, also 25 years. In other words, it actually, actually should, should depend on the amount of the ketubah. If uh, usually, how much, how much charity do you give? How many poor people are there? Is it uh, you know, $10 a day? Okay, so that should be the same for everyone. And the ketubah of a rich person should, uh, should take much longer to deplete, and that the smaller ketubah of a poor person should be uh, take a shorter time to be depleted, right? And he answers, According to the camel is the load. A strong camel can carry a strong load. A weak camel, a weak one. So too, a wealthy person like she's giving away a lot of money. A poor person is going to give away only a little bit of money. But it's the same ratio. Both of them are going to give away about 4% each year 
So after 25 years, they'll deplete 100% of their ketubah. So according to that, according to the Bimeir, that she gives away 4% every year, does that mean that we should um, divide the amount of her ketubah payout according to the year. If it's after five years, then she should only get paid 80% of it. Uh, and we should, uh, um, um, we should pay her pro rata based on how far in. Um, I mean, it makes sense if she is and does in fact give away that the property of her heirs, so does that count against her? Or maybe we think, maybe we assume that the heirs are okay with her giving away um, some money to charity from their own funds, and maybe it doesn't count against her. Uh, so that question is left standing. Take all. Hachamim Omerim calls So now, according to the to the majority opinion, as long as she's in her husband's house, she can collect any time forever. Has a challenge to this when she's in her father's house. It says that she can collect for twenty five years. After 25 years, she can no longer collect. So Abaya's question is, look, if it was before sunset, let's say it was from the day that the husband died until, right, count 25 years um, to the day. So before sunset, she, she could come and collect the whole amount. If she just waits a few minutes right after sunset, oh, now we assume she lost, she lost the right because she waived, uh, she, she waived her, her right to the ketubah. In that small amount of time, just a few minutes, we're going to assume that she waived her right. Should it make such a big difference? A few minutes earlier or a few minutes later, she gets all the money or she gets none of the money? Does that make sense? And Rav Yosef's answer is yes. In fact, all the measurements of the sages are like that, right? This is every any law is going to have a prescribed measure, and so yeah, a little bit less, a little bit more. For example, and a a, a mikveh has to be forty seah. If it has forty seah, you could do tevila, and uh, everything's kosher. If she's tameh or or a man's tameh, they'll be kosher. If someone's uh, converting, the conversion will be will be valid. And if it's 40 se'ah, just less, even a tiny amount, less than 40 se'ah, then you cannot go. And if you use that for a mikveh, the person will not be, uh, the convert will not be converted. The person will remain tameh. Woman will be nida with all the consequences that come along with it. So that's the same thing in any case. You know, when you have to get your taxes in on time, you have to have make sure it's uh, postmarked exactly before mid night on tax day and if it's not yeah there's a big difference so that's anytime you have a cutoff you can ask that same question interesting he says calls me calls me that chachamim that uh, it's the rabbis that decide uh to us you have to go to mikveh to us there's a lot of things and the rabbis that decide the exact amount so that there should be a an exact cutoff so that will be a prescribed measurement Okay, we have a Rav Yudah said name of Rav that Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi, said to Rabbi um, in the name of his father. Okay, so there's a lot of attributions. Let's call this the law of Rav. Said, says when the in the Mishnah said that the woman cannot collect 
after 25 years, that's only if she doesn't know, does not have the Ketubah document in her hand. And she's collecting it just based on, you know, the, the general um, obligation of a husband to pay Ketubah, even without having Ketubah. But if she still has the Ketubah document in her hand, she can collect forever, right? That shows that she didn't, she didn't uh, forgive, the, forgive it. Otherwise, she would have ripped it up. She still has it. She can collect. Rebiel Azad disagrees and uh, says um, that even if she has the Ketubah, she didn't take it, she didn't bring it and ask for the Ketubah payment. So then after 25 years, she cannot collect, even with the document. Okay, so now we're going to have a challenge to the first opinion that if she has a document, then she can collect forever. We're going to challenge it a couple of times. Um, this is a Braita, it's also in the, found in the Tosefta, that says um, someone, a, a creditor, can collect even without mentioning anything. He doesn't have to be have a reminder, oh, by the way, you owe me money. He can collect any time after 25 years, after 50 years. The credit is still good. Okay, that's the statement. Let's analyze. If he doesn't have a loan document, well, how is he going to collect without a loan document? He does have a loan document. We're going to infer from this baraita that specifically true only to a creditor, someone who gave out a loan. And that person um, does, can collect and we don't we don't assume that they will waive their rights to collect so they can collect any time but that's this comes to exclude a widow who is coming to collect her ketubah even if she has the ketubah she has to collect within 25 years right it's only the balchov that doesn't have to have to give a reminder have to mention it but almanad um, does have to mention it otherwise she cannot collect and so this goes against the tanakama here who said that she um if she has a document she can collect forever this baraita seems to be against it although it's only an inference so we're going to say no who motiv la who mefarek la rav shashat es question and he figured out the answer too. Could be that this Baraita is actually talking about where there is no loan document. So how is he collecting? When it's when the uh, the uh, borrower admits, yes, I do owe you money. And that's why he's able to collect that way. And so the uh, the Baraita is saying that if the if 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 indeed the borrower admits that he owes the uh, the creditor can collect any time and he doesn't have to remind and give a mention every twenty five years. So really, this is not talking about a case where they have the document and therefore it's not relevant. There's no proof either way to the statement of Rav that if you have a document, then the Almanac cannot waive it, so we solve the problem. Um, okay. Second proof, second challenge to Rav's rule is from this Baraita that says, a woman who's, uh, who's divorced is like a creditor. So, in other words, like, uh, just like a creditor in that, she can collect forever. 
and she doesn't have to mention anything. What kind of case are we talking about? If this divorcee does not have a Kituba document, how is she going to collect? It must be that she has a document. And this Baraita is specifying that it's only a Gerusha who is like a Baal Chov, is like a creditor, and she is not going to forgive what's owed to her after all, she's a divorcee, and usually uh, the relation that there's a lot of tension between the divorcee and the husband and his family, and so she's not going to forgive. She wants to collect. Um, so that's why she can collect even after 25 years. But an almana who is in a similar situation and has a ketubah, um, she, and she doesn't use it for 25 years, we assume that she forgave the payment of the ketubah. And that's a challenge to the Rav statement that uh, Almana after 25 years he, with a document can collect forever. So we answer here also we're talking about a case where there was in fact no ketubah and the uh, the ex-husband admits that he has to pay and that's why she can collect forever but if there was a document uh, that's so that's why it's not relevant this is this whole case is talking about when there's when there's no document um, but it's not a challenge to Rav's statement because I was talking about when there is a ketubah document and so his statement stands quotes the following baraita from the school of Barkaza that if a widow demanded her 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 her, um, her ketubah, then it resets the clock, right? After uh, 20 years or so, she says, uh, oh, I want my ketubah, then she can collect it, even if she doesn't mention, bring it up again for another 25 years, she can collect it at that point. Um, and if she has a ketubah, an actual ketubah document, then she can collect forever. So you see that this baraita actually supports the statement of Rav, and adds another chidush that as long as you mention it sometime in between, that extends the time even without a ketubah document. Okay, so now a question from one, one Rav Nachman to the other Rav Nachman regarding our Mishnah, that there was, an, there was a dispute between the bee and Rabbanan about this 25-year limit. Where does it apply? Does it apply? Is there a 25-year limit when she's in her father, when she's in her husband's house? That's Bimeir. Or is it when she's in her father's house that she has up to 25 years? That was Rabbanan. That machloket in the Mishnah, which case was it talking about? Was it talking about a case where she has a ketubah? And even if she has a ketubah, nevertheless, there is a limitation and she cannot collect. In other words, this would be against the statement of Rab before. Or is that machloket when there's no ketubah? But if there were a ketubah document, she could collect forever, no matter where she is. Right? So which case is the Mishnah talking about? Mishnah doesn't say. Second question is, who does the halacha follow? To be Meir or Chachamim? And the answer, Machloket Machloket is when there's no Shtar uh, Ketubah. She's collecting based on that even if there's no Ketubah document, the husband, husband has to pay uh, and the, or the estate has to pay the widow. 
And so, um, if, they, if there is a physical document, she can collect forever, anytime. That supports the statement of Rav earlier and this um, also this Baraita we, that we saw at the end. And the Halacha is like the Chachamim that if she is in her father's house, um, then she has the limit, but if she's in uh, her husband's house, um, then she's embarrassed to uh, to collect um, because she's uh, she's getting money, she's getting sustenance as all uh, as well. So if, as long as she's in her husband's house, there's no no limit. Okay. Another limitation on this 25-year limit um, is that it applies only to the base amount of 100 or 200. That's what she would lose after 25 years. But the additional amount, if the husband wrote another $1,000 that she gets, she gets no matter what. That's a gift that he's, he's giving her, and she, she's not forgiving that. She can continue to collect that forever. Whereas Rabbi Yochanan said, even uh, even the extra amount, also the time limit applies to. After twenty five years, she won't collect anything, uh, uh, as she won't collect the base amount or the um, added amount. She would, of course, get back her her land, land that she owns. And this statement of Rabbi Yochanan follows the other statement that says a, um, a a stipulation in the marriage contract has the same uh, law as the marriage contract itself so the added amount is the same as the first is the basic hundred or two hundred um, so another uh, statement supporting the uh, statement above here uh, in the name of Bar Kapara, is the uh, more lenient for her that this time limit of 25 years is only for the 100 and 200, but the added amount she can collect even after 25 years. And so this was said in the name of Rav. Rabbi Abba said to Rav Huna, who quoted it in the name of Rav, says, Are you sure that Rav said this? And uh, Rav Huna said back to Rabbi Abba, why are you asking me that question? Right? What's what exactly is your tone? Ishtikan kamat? Are you saying it so I'll be quiet and not repeat it? Meaning you're against this halacha? Are you saying it like did I really say that? I don't. I don't think Rav would say that it applies only to the hundred, two hundred, and not to the added. Or Ashkian Kamart. Or are you telling me? Are you telling, asking me a question in a way that you agree with it? Meaning to give me a drink. You want to give a toast to this fantastic statement, and you're saying, "Wow, Rav really said that, right? Are you sure? That's amazing." Okay. So in uh, in Aramaic, they're almost the same. Ishtikan or Ashkian. Did you? Are you trying to silence me? Or are you trying to give me? A a drink. Um, what? How exactly? What? What was your tone exactly? Amarle ishtikan kamina. I was trying to silence you. I do not agree with this halacha, right? But rather, like Rabbi Yochanan, that uh, she would lose the entire amount of the ketubah after the twenty-five years. All right, and now we have a story. Chamte de Aricha. 
the uh, mother-in-law of Rabbi Chiyad the Tall, he was tall, in, in Tat Ahu Havai, was also the wife of his brother. So, in other words, a man's mother-in-law was also his sister-in-law. And that can happen if two brothers marry a mother and a daughter, which is permitted. A person cannot marry a mother and daughter, but one brother marries the mother, and the other brother marries the daughter. Then his, um, his brother's wife is also his wife's mother. Okay, so this happened. The widow, in the meantime, is living in her father's house. She she chose not to live in uh, her husband's house, so she's there. And nevertheless, Rav Chia would provide uh, sustenance, food, for his mother-in-law, sister, sister-in-law, sister uh, for 25 years in her father's house. Okay, now, after 25 years, she says, give me my sustenance. Says, That's it, no, it ran out, 25 years, done. She says, okay, pay me the full marriage contract. Sorry, 25 years, you're not living here, you're living in your father, in your father father's house. We're following the majority opinion of the Mishnah that she's living in her father's house and she doesn't collect her ketubah in 25 years. That's it. The payments are over. No mezonot, no lump sum payment. So Rabbi Chaya seems to be in the right. But she takes him to court. She and Rabbah Barshela judges the case. So um, he, uh, uh, says, tell me the details of the clay case, please. The tall, rather, the tall says, I provided her for 25 years while she was in her father's house. And I swear by the life of the master that I delivered her food on my own shoulders. I physically went and brought her her sandwiches of food every day uh, to the house, her, her family's house. So, the judge, Rabbi Barshela, says, What's the reasoning of Chachamim that when she's in her husband's house, she can collect forever? Because we say she's embarrassed to ask for the Ketuvah payment since she's being fed and t- being taken care of there in her husband's house. Here also, that reason applies, even though she's in her father's house, nevertheless, you are coming and providing her personally with food, so she is embarrassed to uh, collect. So, uh, um, ironically, Rabbi Chia's own testimony of how well he takes care of his mother and mother-in-law, sister-in-law, this widow, actually turned against him. If he hadn't been taking care of her, then she would not be embarrassed to collect her ketubah. But because he went out of his way and took care of her so well, she was embarrassed. And that, since we have a reason why she didn't collect her ketubah, we cannot assume that she forgave it. And so therefore, Rabbi Chia, uh, therefore, uh, Barshela said, you have to pay, nevertheless, you have to pay. Okay, Lashkach, Rabbi didn't agree, and he decided to ignore the ruling. 
כתב לה, הדרכתה הנכסה. רבה בשאלה, the judge wrote her a, an authorization document that she can go and seize property from him to pay her ketubah. They came to uh, Rava. Comes to Rava and says, Look, Master Rava, look at what Rava Barshela said that now he's going to collect my, 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 uh, my land. Rava says, That's right. He's, he's, he, he's right. You should have to pay um, because even though technically you're right, that it is after 25 years and she was in her husband's house, but you have to look at the reason she was in her father's house, but you have to look at the reason. Behind the law, and therefore, yes, you have to pay. Now the woman says to Rava, she sees that she's winning, right? So she wants to get the full extent of what's coming to her. Says, I want further the produce that has grown on the property that I'm going to collect um, from the day I received this authorization document until today. Right, since from that time, the I oh, basically I had a lien. I I owned this property. I just took time to to for for it to get to me. I want him to pay all the back produce for that land from that time. Rava says, let me see the document. Right, let's see exactly what's written in it. It was missing a key phrase, a phrase that says um, that oh, it is known to us, to the judges, that the properties that she can take belonged to the estate of the deceased. In other words, the law is that she can only collect from land that belonged to her husband. She cannot collect from land that belongs to Rabbi Chia himself, his own land, that has to be the land that he inherited from the estate. And that was missing. So that meant that she can collect from any of the land. And it isn't true. Amala adrachna adrachta lav shapir ketiba. And Rava said, your authorization to collect land is invalid. And uh, because it's missing this key line, um, according to this, you can collect everything. It's simply not true. Therefore, you know what? You're not getting any produce based from the time that this was written, since the whole thing, the whole thing is invalid. She says, "Okay, fine." Uh, but fine. I won't, I'm not going to claim the produce from the time that the the this letter that was written. But at least give me the produce from the time of the announcement. In other words, the betin already started the process of collecting, and they make an announcement right for 30 days before for a public auction. So from that time on, surely from that time on, I have a right to the produce. Give me that. Rava says, says, yeah, you would get it from the time of the announcement on, only if there was no mistake. But here, there's a mistake in your document of authorization, and so it's null and void. And you can't even collect from the time of the author from the announcement. That announcement, we're going to take, right, that announcement itself is based on a an invalid document, so sorry, you can't have the produce. This uh, widow, she's, she's, uh, she knows her halacha, and she says, wait, but master, you're the one that taught that um, a guarantee on the se- uh, on uh, a, a guarantee of sale from a document um, is a scribal error. In other words, 
um, if we write up a document of sale and we forget to write that the um, the seller will guarantee the sale that should uh, be recollected from the buyer that the buyer can come back to the seller and say hey give me my money back even if the scribe forgets that line we assume that it's his problem that he that the scribe's problem that he forgot it but it's still as if it's written in the in the document so even if you don't write it it's the same as if it's written so she says it should be the same thing here even though this document of authorization had a wrong phrase in it so you should assume that it's still okay so it's just a scribal error but it should still be valid said, no. In this case, we cannot blame it on the scribe. If it's just a scribal error, and we know what the, what they meant when they wrote it, then it would still be valid. But here, it wasn't just a scribal error. Rabah Bar the original judge, he's the one that made the mistake, and it's actually a mistaken ruling. Because Rabah Bar at first, when he wrote that, thought that she can collect both from Rebichia's uh, own land and from the estate of the deceased because what's the difference since the uh the and is the one that inherited everything so he owns all the land and so what's the difference if she collects from this and that and that's why he wrote the document that way he meant it it was not it was not written in error uh it was he thought he was the whole judgment was an error and therefore his entire judgment that whole document is null and void right we have to have to write a new one um, that you'll will, you'll be able to collect, but you will not be able to collect from the past produce. Um, now, why was he wrong? Velohi Rava explains. Because the reason why we have to be very careful in the document to say that she can only collect from the land that did belong to the um, deceased husband is because otherwise the lie the, the brother the one who's taking care whoever is taking care of the for the property can trick the the um the uh, widow uh, because sometimes the the estate the um the in this case the brother the Rikhiya, could would give her a piece of land that actually belongs to him she will in the meantime invest it improve it and uh, the land that did belong to the deceased will go bad and then he'll see that and say oh look how much work she put it she put into it that land is worth much more and then the brother can turn around the live one you know what take yours and give me mine i gave you land that actually belonged to me i want to switch now i want and he would have a right to take his own land and say no you take the the land of your deceased husband and that would look bad for the court because everybody would say look look at what the court does gives a land she improves it and then he has a right to go and switch it and take the, this improved land and give her bad land and this would not look well good for the court it also wouldn't be good for her um, so therefore, in order pr- to protect the reputation of the court, and also, ironically, to protect the woman herself, and uh, women in general, so that they should, get, well, if they get land, they know that they get to keep the land, and they can improve it, invest in it, and they will keep it. 
Um, in order to uh, in order to achieve that goal, Ravan said, "Sorry, but you, in this particular case, your document of authorization is is wrong, and therefore you cannot collect from the past produce. Uh, so we'll have to write up a new document so that you can collect um, from the only from the land of your deceased husband." So that's um, a very good story to end the pedic. Hazran Allah Hanose Baruch Adonai Leolam Amen VeAmen.